Hello and welcome to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, February 6, 2024. I'm your reader, Bill Petrosky. In local news headlines, Waller Principal to resign by school year's end. The principal of Wallard Catholic High School in Dubuque will resign at the end of the 2023-2024 school year. Mariah Reeves, who had been administrator at Wallert for four years, will become the director of curriculum and instruction for Clinton Community School District, according to a press release. The release states that Reeves joined Wallert in 2020, serving as associate principal and academic innovation coordinator. In 2022, she became the school's principal following the retirement of Ron Myers. Through her commitment to excellence in education, her passion for fostering a nurturing and inclusive environment, her unwavering support for both students and faculty, and the school's first female principal, Ms. Reeves has truly left her mark on our community. Holy Family Catholic School's Chief Administrator Phil Borman said in the release, her visionary approach to curriculum development and her efforts to integrate innovative teaching methodologies have notably contributed to the academic success of our students. A search for Reeves' replacement will commence immediately, the release states. BizBuzz, new store opens at Kennedy Mall. Dubuque Dog Groomer opens new shop. Floral store opens in Galena. Story by Grace Nyland, grace.nyland at thmedia.com. BizBuzz shares business tidbits from the tri-state area. This edition highlights developments in Dubuque and Galena, Illinois. A pair of storefronts have opened at Kennedy Mall for the geologically inclined and discount-driven. World Earth Minerals opened last week at the Dubuque Mall and offers a variety of rocks, minerals, and ores, as well as related literature and collectibles. Attached is a storefront for this and that, which offers discount merchandise. The storefronts are located on the mall's north end near Daily Threads and Fun Station. It's been a huge effort to get this up and running, but we've had a great staff working seven days a week to make this happen, General Manager Steve Muller said. We're ready to get going. World Earth Mineral sells a variety of metallurgical and geological items and has an attached engraving studio for custom orders and designs. The store's numerous shelves are filled with amethyst, abalone, Abyssinian and more, and the chart is available for browsers to reference if they're interested in the properties and characteristics of the different stones. The store also sells collectible metal coins using metal mined from an 880-acre plot of the of land the company owns in Wyoming. The history of the property is very interesting, and we want to highlight that connection, Mueller said. The Mormon Trail goes right through the property, and you can still see the wagon marks. This and that, a subsidiary of World Earth Minerals, also opened last week and offers a variety of merchandise at discount prices, usually priced around 25% of typical retail cost. Items are new but bought in bulk to allow for the lower prices of the toys, clothing, furniture, and more. Across the hall from the store, Mueller said the company is also opening World Earth Coffee, a coffee bar for mall workers and patrons. The Dubuque setup is World Earth Minerals' flagship location, Mueller said, and the plan is to replicate it in other malls across Iowa and eventually the county. We have huge growth plans. The next store is going to be in the Quad Cities, and it'll just go from there. The store is open seven days a week during regular mall hours. 
10 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday. The coffee bar is set to open later this month. Dubuque Dog Groomer Goes Solo An area dog groomer has started his own business on Dubuque Central Avenue. Dave's Dog Grooming recently opened at 2160 Central Avenue. The by appointment shop offers full-service dog grooming for canines of all ages, sizes, and dispositions. I do everything from little toy poodles to Great Danes, said owner Dave Esser. I'm like a dog whisperer. I haven't had a dog I couldn't work with yet, even if they've had problems at other shops. Esser began grooming dogs in his 20s before taking a break to help his parents with various family business ventures. He came back to the grooming field roughly a year ago at another area shop before breaking out on his own when the Central Avenue space became available. He's currently the only groomer at the shop, which he said ensures dogs spend their entire grooming appointment with one person instead of moving between stations with different workers. I do it myself from start to finish, he said. That's another bonus for the dog because they can feel comfortable that way since it's just the one person they work with. Dave's dog grooming is open by appointment. And interested dog owners can reach the business by phone at 563-313-0610. Regular updates also are posted on the Dave's Dog Grooming Facebook page. New Floral Shop opens in Galena. The new floral shop is open on Galena's Main Street. Willow on Main opened over the weekend at 309 North Main Street. The store offers a variety of fresh flowers, gifts, and related items. The shop is a sister store to Cuba City, Wisconsin Greenhouse, and is owned by the same couple, Christina and Bill Taylor. We're really excited to bring this sort of service to the Galena market, Christina Taylor said. The flowers are such a great gift, and it's a special way to show that you're thinking about someone. The Taylors have been looking for a Galena location for several years, she said, hoping to tap into the city's booming tourist market while also serving local customers. The Main Street location became available late last year, and Taylor said it instantly was clear the space was good fit. It's right there on Main Street, but it still has parking for our delivery vehicle, she explained. It's just the perfect location. Shop opened Saturday and already is busy preparing for the impending Valentine's Day holiday. The store will act as a sister location to the Cuba City Greenhouse, which will continue to operate in southwest Wisconsin. The couple plans to host a variety of community workshops at Willow on Main around various floral themes, Taylor added. In addition to in-store shopping, the shop also offers local delivery services and creates floral arrangements for events such as weddings, graduations, and funerals. We work with an array of events and services on a weekly basis, Taylor said. We provide flowers for funeral services, weddings for a new baby or a birthday. It's very rewarding to be involved in celebrating so many of life's special moments. Willow on Main is open from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Saturday. The store can be reached at 815-402-2592, and regular updates are posted on its Facebook page. Business Tip Sought. Do you have an interesting story idea or news tip to share about a local business? Ideas can be shared with business reporter Grace Nyland at grace.nyland at thmedia.com or 563-588-5647. Police say Dubuque woman's three toddlers ingested marijuana gummies were treated at hospitals. Police said a Dubuque woman was arrested after three toddlers ingested marijuana gummies. Gummies became sick and were treated at hospitals. Caitlin A.M. Brennan, 22, of 
8-2670. Anamosa Drive was arrested at 8.55 a.m. Sunday at a residence on a charge on a warrant charging three counts of child endangerment. Court documents state that the Dubuque Police Department and Iowa Department of Health and Human Services began an investigation December 15th after Brendan's children, ages 1, 2, and 3, found a package of marijuana gummies in Brendan's bedroom and adjusted them. All three children exhibited symptoms of marijuana intoxication documents state. Two of the children suffered seizures. Two of the children were treated at Mercy One Dubuque Medical Center. The other child was treated at Unity Point Health Finley Hospital. During a search of Brennan's home, officers found marijuana, THC vape products, drug paraphernalia, and a wrapper for a marijuana edible document state. Police say Dubuque caretakers stole at least $10,000 from a dying man. Police said a Dubuque woman who claimed power of attorney without documentation stole at least $10,000 from a man under hospice care who subsequently died. Melissa L.S.B. Weiser, 36, of 2618 Queen Street, was arrested at 7 a.m. Monday at Dubuque Law Enforcement Center on a warrant charging first-degree theft against an older individual, financial exploitation of an older individual over $10,000, and dependent adult abuse financial exploitation by a caretaker. Court documents state that Dubuque police were alerted December 7th about numerous transactions and using a credit union account belonging to a 68-year-old man. The estranged son of the man told police that more than $23,400 in transactions had been made with his father's account. Weiser had been caring for the older man, who at the time was under hospice care documents state. The son told police his father had been bedridden and taking painkillers for the past five years documents state. A fire at the older man's Dubuque residence in May left him with significant burns and led to hospitalizations in Dubuque and Iowa City. The man eventually transferred to a specialty hospital where Medicare covered his full expenses. The man was referred to hospice care around October 26. These costs were also covered by Medicare. The man died on December 9th. Hospice paperwork indicated that Weiser was the man's self-reported legal representative, but Weiser never produced or filed a power of attorney form or any other relevant legal document court document state. Credit union documentation showed that if a check for $34,669 from a mortgage service company was deposited in the man's account on August 1. From August 1 to December 6, approximately $25,415 was transferred from the man's account to an account belonging to Wiser Document State. These transactions included a $10,000 transfer to Wiser's account on December 5th. Authorities say Dyersville woman injured in Lynn County crash. Dayline Hiawatha, Iowa. Authorities said a Dyersville woman was injured in a single vehicle crash in Lynn County. Mary Reed, 18, of Dyersville, was transported by ambulance to a local hospital for treatment of non-life-threatening injuries, according to the Lynn County Sheriff's Department. A press release states that Reed was traveling east on Iowa 100, west of Edgewood Road, at 10.14 p.m. Sunday when she lost control of her vehicle and struck a guardrail on the north side of the highway. She was cited with failure to maintain control. Dubuque County Fairgrounds to host Buddy Holly Dance. A Dubuque County event will feature dancing and music this weekend. A Buddy Holly Dance will be held from 7 to 11 p.m. Saturday, February 10th at the Dubuque County Fairgrounds, 14569 Old Highway Road, according to an online announcement. Doors open at 5.30 p.m. and free dance lessons will be provided by Adam's Dance Connection from 6 to 7 p.m. Contests include a Peggy Sue lookalike, 
best dressed couple, and best 50s and 60s dance. The event is attended for adults age eight, ages 18 and older. Tickets are $7 per person in advance or $9 at the door. Advanced tickets are available at the fairgrounds or by calling 563-588-1406. Boy Scouts to hold fundraising breakfast in Dyersville. A Dyersville-based Boy Scout troop is hosting a fundraising event. Troop 60 holds its 50th annual breakfast and bake sale from 7.30 a.m. to noon, February 11th at St. Francis Xavier School, 203 2nd Street Southwest. The cost is $12 for adults, $6 for children ages 6 to 12, and free for kids 5 and younger. Campaign finance reports show significant changes in types of races. Newcomers' first fundraising numbers. In most cases, incumbent fundraising outpaces their challengers. Story by Benjamin Fisher at benjamin.fisher at teachmedia.com. Campaign finance reports for the final quarter of 2023 reveal fundraising developments in what are projected to be competitive races for congressional districts in the tri-state area and the first receipts for some new candidates. Overall, the quarter's totals for the period from October 1 to December 31, 23, showed continued trends from the preceding quarter for most candidates, except for Wisconsin's third congressional district, where fundraising was down for all candidates. In Wisconsin, incumbent U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin, a Democrat, received $3 million in the quarter. Of that, 11% came from political action committees, the rest which came from individual donors. Baldwin's campaign spent $1.83 million in the quarter, ending with $8 million cash on hand. Of Baldwin's challengers, a libertarian, Philip Anderson's campaign received $5,298, but $3,478 of that was from the candidate. His campaign spent $7,385, ending with $3,840 cash on hand. Republican Stacy Klein received $2,459, spent $2,032, ending with $427. In what is projected to be a tight race in 2024, incumbent first-term U.S. Representative Derek Van Orden's campaign received $582,000 in the quarter, of which 12% was from PACs. Their campaign spent $400,000, ending with $1.62 million. Van Orden's fundraising was down from $864,000 in the quarter from July 1 to September 30th. Democratic candidates running in their primary to unseat Van Orden, a Republican, in the 3rd Congressional District raised a collective $410,000. Returning candidate Rebecca Cook raised the most, receiving $329,000 in the quarter, spending $139,000 and ending with $496,000. Former La Crosse County Supervisor Tara Johnson's campaign received $80,000, spent eighty-two. dollars and ended with $110,000, but Johnson dropped out of the race last month. Cook's total also was down from $400,000 in the prior quarter. Analyses by several political scientists watching the race have proposed that lower numbers in last quarter's reports could be due to donors' uncertainty over the impacts of the Wisconsin Supreme Court's potential decision to redraw con congressional district lines as they are having state legislative districts redrawn. In Wisconsin's 2nd Congressional District, Incumbent Democrat U.S. Representative Mark Pocan's reelection campaign received $103,000, spent $80,000, and ended with $770,000. His return Republican challenger from 2022 charity, Barry, picked up for fundraising, receiving $36,000. 
up from $1,000 a prior quarter. Barry's campaign spent $12,000 and ended with $25,000. Republican candidate Eric Olson, also returned challenger, received $15,000, spent $15,000, and ended with $3,000. Incumbent U.S. Representative Ashley Hinson, our Iowa, received $558,000, of which 30% was from PACs for her re-election bid in Iowa's 2nd Congressional District. Her campaign spent $428,000 annually with $1.44 million. I am humbled by the support our team received last quarter and throughout the year, Henson said in a press release. Last quarter was the first reporter for Henson's 2024 potential challenger, marketing professional Sarah Corkery, who announced her candidacy on October 18th. Her campaign received $50,000 in the quarter, of which none was from PAC, spent $14,000 and ended with $36,000. Incumbent Republican U.S. Representative Marianette Miller makes receive $475,000 in the quarter, of which 35% was from PACs. Her campaign spent $274,000 and ended with $1.37 million. Miller makes return challenger from 2022. Democrat Christina Bohannon received $652,000 in the quarter, which was seven, of which 7.35% was from PACs, spent $164,000 and ended with $1.12 million. We brought in a record-breaking haul that shows we have energy and momentum to flip the seat in November, Bohannon said. Incumbent in Illinois, incumbent Republican U.S. Representative Darren LaHood's re-election campaign received $364,000, spent $233,000, and ended with $4.9 million. LaHood has not a challenger yet in what is widely considered a safe Republican district, largely due to being drawn that way by the Illinois legislature's Democratic-controlled state legislature. In other area news, Library to host presentation on Black History. Dateline, Lancaster, Wisconsin. Lancaster, Wisconsin Public Library holds presentation on Black History this month. Frank C. King, Associate Professor and Program Coordinator of Ethnic Studies at the University of Wisconsin Platteville, will present, quote, Black History and Politics at 6.30 p.m. February 21 at Shriner Memorial Library, 113 West Elm Street. The event is free. Visit ShrinerMemorialLibrary.org for more information. Delaware County Foundation Awards Grant, Stateline, Manchester, Iowa. The Greater Delaware County Community Foundation recently awarded its annual McGee Bar and Harlow Coon grants to several area organizations. Grants from the Austin E. McGee and M.L. Barr McGee Charitable Trust for the Poor of Delaware County were awarded to Delaware County Food Bank, 7500 Second Helping, 5000 West Delaware Back to School Fair, $4,000. Sleep in Heavenly Peace, 4000 Helping Services for Youth and Families, 3500 Community Child Care of Manchester, 3000 Delhi Thrift Store and Food Pantry, $2,500. Lutheran Services in Iowa, $2,500. Operation Santa Claus, $2,500. Riverview Center, $2,000. Junior Achievement of Eastern Iowa, $1,153. West Delaware Elementary and Middle School Book Fair, $750. Clothing Closet at Manchester Methodist Church, $600. First Presbyterian Church Birthday Bags, $270. Harlow Coon Grants to support older adults in Delaware County were awarded to Meadows Assisted Living Center, $1,000. Delaware County Food Bank, $616. Go online for more information about the grants. Adult Environmental Group Plans Snowshoeing Event. Deadline, Bernard, Iowa. A local environmental education group 
will hold for older adults will hold a free snowshoeing event in Bernard, Iowa later this month. Owls, older, wiser, live, wiser and livelier souls, a partnership between Dubuque, Jackson, and Jones County, Iowa Conservation Departments will host the event, which will take place at 10 a.m. Friday, February 23rd at Whitewater Canyon, 29912 9th Avenue. A newsletter from Jackson County Conservation states that adults of all ability levels are invited to the guided snowshoe walk along the trails of the park. Attendees can bring their own snowshoes or borrow a pair of snowshoes if needed. Interested participants are asked to register in advance by contacting Jackson County Conservation at 563-652-3783. Dubuque County Conservation at 563-556-6745 or Jones County Conservation at 563-487-3541 or by emailing jragner at jacksoncounty.iowa.gov. Fire Department Fundraisers set for February 18th. Dateline Holy Cross, Iowa. Proceeds from local fire department's fundraising breakfast will support life-saving equipment. The Holy Cross North Buena Vista Fire Department's annual breakfast will be held from 8 a.m. to noon, February 18th at LaSalle Catholic School, 835 Church Street in Holy Cross, Iowa. The cost is $12 for adults and $6 for children. Library to host activities for National Engineers Week. Dateline Dyersville, Iowa. Dyersville's Public Library hold a series of science, technology, engineering, art, and music activities later this month. James Kennedy Public Library will hold a Steam Fest event from 9.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. February 24th at the library, 321st Avenue East, according to an online announcement. The event is held to mark National Engineers Week, February 18th, through the 24th. Events will include playing games, designing a board game, making buttons, making corner bookmarks out of origami paper, and playing with robots and more. Visit jameskennedy-iowa.com slash calendar event 5225876 for a complete schedule of activities. Award-winning authors to appear on LitFest virtual panel discussion. Dateline Galena, Illinois. Five award-winning independent authors will appear on a virtual panel discussion held as part of Galena LitFest. The free event will be held from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. February 13th via Zoom, according to an online announcement. Panelists include current and past winners of the soon-to-be-famous Illinois Author Award, including Alina Rubin, Sarah Rutz, Joanne Zienti, Michael Allen Peck, and Geraldine Heslaw McGrady. Galena Litfest Lit is the 10th annual literary, literary festival organized and funded by Galena Public Library support from Friends of the Galena Public Library. Events will take place February through May. Register for the panel discussion online at tinyurl slash galenalitzoom. Arts group organizers to meet February 13th. Dateline Stockton, Illinois. Supporters of a proposed nonprofit arts organization in Stockton, Illinois, will hold an informal informational meeting next week. The meeting about music and arts recreational society of Stockton will meet at 5 p.m. February 13th at Stella's Cafe and Catering, 100 North Main Street. Meeting participants will discuss planning events and setting dates for workshops, as well as establishing a board of directors to oversee the organization. Email Michelle Barch at Michelle, Michelle Barch at gmail.com for more information. Valentine Craft Event Planned at Library, Dateline East Dubuque, Illinois. A Valentine's Day-themed craft event is planned at East Dubuque District Library. The event will take place from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. February 10th in the community room of the Library 122 
Wisconsin Avenue, according to an online event announcement. Materials will be available for four make-and-take art projects, bookmarks, cards, jewelry, and a favor wheel, and attendees can choose one or all of the crafts to complete. The event is free and open to all ages. Dance tickets available for Miner's Ball, Daylight Platteville, Wisconsin. Dance tickets remain available for the Mining and Rollo Jamison's, Jamison's Museum's Annual Miner's Ball. The fundraising gala will be held from 5 to 10 p.m. Saturday, February 17th at the Velzey Commons in Ulsic Ulsvik Hall at the University of Wisconsin Platteville. The evening will begin with social hour 5 p.m., followed by dinner at 6 p.m. and the dance and auction 7 p.m. The event will feature music from Ken Killian Classic Big Band Orchestra. The deadline for tenor tickets was Friday. Dance-only tickets are available for 10 and available online at mining.jamison.museum slash minersball and at the door. Fire Department Breakfast, February 11th. The Centralia Piazza Fire and Rescue 21st Annual Fireman's Breakfast will be held from 7.30 a.m. to noon. February 11th at the Piazza Fire Department 8579 Tennis Lane, the drive through event supports the Volunteer Fire Department. The cost is $10 for adults and $5 for children under age 10. Dubuque Council approves fee increases at C. Sutton Flora Pools. Story by Andy Piper at andy.piper at teachmedia.com. The following notable action was taken by the Dubuque City Council on Monday. Leisure Services Fee Increases Action City Council members voted 7-0 to approve a request by Leisure Services Director Marie Ware to increase program and services fees, rental fees, and product sale prices by 5% and to increase the cost of admission to floral and sudden pools by $1. Background, recent wage and operating cost increases in fiscal year 2023 created a $231,000 impact on the upcoming 2025 fiscal year budget. The fee increases will help offset some of those costs and reduce the amount of tax dollars needed to run the department, Ware said. What's next? This season, the price of admission to Flora and Sutton Pools will cost $3 for youth and senior citizens and $5 for adults. Rental fee increases. Action. City Council members voted 6-1 to one with Council Member Katie Wethel voting no to approve increases for rental property licenses and inspections fees. Background. The Housing and Community Development Department manages fees and fines for rental licensing and inspection activities. Because of the business nature of rental properties, the city requires its rental housing budget to be 90% self-supporting. The city's general fund supports 10% of the budget for activities completed by inspectors that are unrelated to rentals, such as vacant and abandoned building enforcement, nuisance or problem properties, and homeowner enforcement for property maintenance. A budget review in December revealed the past three years of departmental salary and training cost increases combined with inflationary costs for equipment have left the 90% standard unmet for the current fiscal year and moving forward into fiscal year 2025. Rental licenses are sent to property owners on a calendar year basis. Calendar year 2024 licenses have not been issued, so the department seeks increased fees to ensure the department's rental housing activities are being 90% self-supported. What's next? As of Monday, dwelling unit fees increased from $30 to $45. Structure fees increased from $25 to $45, and room unit fees increased from $20 to $30. As of March 1, reinspection fees will increase from $85 to $100, and picture reinspection fees will increase from $0 to $25. Raise Grant. 
City Council members voted 7-0 to hire AEM, AECOM Technical Services to provide preliminary design work for the Building Bridges to Employment and Equity Project. Background. The U.S. Department of Transportation awarded $2.3 million to Dubuque from Rebuilding America's Infrastructure with Sustainability and Equity Program. The planning grant will fund the design of Building Bridges to Employment and an Equity Project which seeks to improve connectivity from downtown Dubuque to Chapman Island. Preliminary design is estimated to $2 million, roughly half of which will be covered by the federal grant. The project includes proposals to improve Elm Street, 16th Street, Kerper Boulevard, and Chapman Island, as well as for a new vehicular and pedestrian overpass above the train tracks at 14th Street near Elm Street. What's next? The preliminary design phase will begin with a kickoff meeting Monday, February 12, and is expected to last until December 31. Once the preliminary design is completed, a final design phase is expected to begin in January 2025. Construction is expected to begin, begin April 2026, and the project could take two to three years to complete. Here's a look at Dubuque Police and Dubuque County Sheriff's Department's reports. Farrell M. Moore, Moore Porter, 19, of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, was arrested at 12.35 a.m. Sunday in the area of E-16th and White Streets on a charge of interference with official acts and warrants charging voluntary absence from custody and three counts of probation violation. Court documents state that Moore Porter did not return to the State Correctional Facility at 1494 Elm Street on January 27th. You are listening to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for... Tuesday, February 6, 2024, on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now let's turn to today's obituary. Robert E. Barton, Dateline Mawson, Wisconsin. Robert E. Bob Barton, 868 of Mawson, Wisconsin, passed away on Friday, February 2, 2024, after a valiant battle against cancer with his loving family beside him. To honor Bob's life, family and friends may visit from 10 a.m. until 11.45 a.m. on Saturday, February 10, 2024, at Bear Funeral Home, 1491 Main Street, Dubuque, Iowa. Funeral services will be held at noon on Saturday at the Bear Funeral Home with Deacon David Roth officiating. Burial will be in Mount Calvary Cemetery. Bob was born on May 13, 1955, in Dubuque, Iowa, the son of Raymond and Rosella Heacock Barton. He graduated from high school and lived in Dubuque for several years before moving to Mawson in 1988. He married Memory Maurer on April 10, 1981 in Dubuque. They raised their family together and celebrated their 42nd wedding anniversary last year. Bob was always a hard worker providing for his family. He was a mechanic at Northside Mobile in Mawson for 27 years until health issues led to his early retirement in 2015. He loved being in the great outdoors and camping was his true passion. He also regularly attended sporting events for kids and grandkids. He was a talented cook and always made sure everyone had enough to eat. He especially enjoyed taking the children out for adventures, grandchildren out for adventures, and was famous for his ability to break in to an appropriate song for any situation. He was diligent about doing online research before a purchase and very thrifty, having a coupon for almost everything they bought. He loved his family more than life itself and would do anything he could for them. He was very loved, and we will miss him tremendously. Those left to cherish Bob's memory include his loving wife, his children, grandchildren, and other family members. He was succeeded in death by his parents. 
He would like to thank, the family would like to thank everyone who helped Bob with his fight against cancer these past three years, these past years. He truly appreciated your care and compassion more than anyone will ever know. Bob's famous quote was, if you must hate, hate cancer. Family will thankfully receive your support through greeting cards and memorials in Bob's memory, which may be mailed to Bear Funeral Home, 1491 Main Street, Dubuque, Iowa, 52001. Attention, Bob Barton Family. Online condolences may be left for the family at www.bearfuneralhome.com. Mary M. Roddy. Mary Margaret Smith Roddy, 89, passed away on February 4, 2024 at Stonehill Health Center Memory Care Unit. Visitation will be from 4 to 7 p.m. Tuesday, February 6, 2024 at Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory, 2595 Rockdale Road, where wake service will be at 3.45 p.m. A massive Christian burial will be at 11 a.m. Wednesday, February 7th at St. Columbia Catholic Church with Father David Schatz officiating. Burial will follow in the Mount Olivet Cemetery. Mary was born June 3, 1934 in New Vienna, Iowa, the daughter of Edward Kiley and Margaret Mary Hamlin Smith. She graduated from St. Boniface High School in New Vienna in 1952 and from Mercy School of Nursing Dubuque in 1956 with her RN. She married John Jack Roddy on April 4, 1959, in New Vienna, Iowa. She was a member of St. Columbia Church and Mother of Mercy Mother's Club Circle. She was a labor and delivery nurse at Mercy Hospital in Dubuque from 1956 to 1959 and a night nurse at Hills and Dales from 1973 to 2006. She was a compassionate nurse who loved caring for mothers and children. She was a loving mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother. She was a great friend to many and enjoyed spending time with her family and friends. She is survived by her children, Marianne Mark Feldman, Susan Sue Roddy, John Jack Kelly Roddy, Lynn Roddy, James, Jim Lisa Roddy, and Martin Marty Roddy, grandchildren and other and great-grandchildren. She was seen death by her parents, her husband Jack, her twin brother Charles, brothers Donald E. Smith and John Jack Smith, his twin sister in infancy, and a grandson, Eoin Roddy. In lieu of flowers, memorials may be sent to Stonehill Health Center, Hills and Dales, or Hospice of Dubuque in memory of Mary. Sharon M. Hamill. Sharon M. Hamill, 83, of Dubuque, died Sunday, February 4th. Visitation will be from 4 to 7 p.m. Thursday, February 8th, at Eagle Off Secret and Casper Funeral Home Crematory, 2659 John F. Kennedy Road. Master Christian Burial will be held at 10 a.m. Friday, February 9th at St. Columbia Catholic Church. Burial will follow in the church cemetery. Roger Holdridge. Roger Holdridge, 84, of Dubuque, died Monday, February 5th. Visitation will be from 3 to 5.30 p.m. Friday, February 9th at Eaglehoff Seagert and Casper Funeral Home, 2659 John F. Kennedy Road, where services will follow. David J. Buss, Burton, Wisconsin. David J. Buss, 70, Burton, died Sunday, February 4th, 2024. Visitation will be from 9 to 11 a.m. Saturday, February 10th at Martin Schwartz Funeral Hall in Lancaster, where services will follow. Burial will be in the Burton Cemetery. Celebration of life will be held after the burial at Burton Town Hall. Marilyn Pierce, Dateline Hanover, Illinois. Marilyn Pierce, 70, of Hanover, died Thursday, February 1, 2024. No public services will be held. Law Jones Funeral Home of Hanover is assisting the family. Janice C. Sauter. Janice C. Sauter, 71 of Dubuque, died Sunday, February 4th. 
There will be no public service. Eaglehoff, Siegert, and Casper Funeral Home and Crematory of Dubuque is assisting the family. James R. Lubinsky, Dateline Galena, Illinois. James R. Lubinsky, 77, of Galena, died Thursday, February 1. Arrangements are pending. Furlong Funeral Chapel of Galena is assisting the family. Here's a look at area funeral services. Alice J. Cass Hins, Dubuque. Visitation, 9 to 10 a.m. today. St. Anthony Catholic Church, Massive Christian Burial, 10 a.m. today at the church. Marilyn J. Humphrey, Shieldsburg, Wisconsin. Visitation, 9 to 11 a.m. Saturday, February 10th, Hoddenshield Funeral Home and Cremation Services, Cuba City. Service, 11 a.m. Saturday at the funeral home. James G. Kennedy, Dubuque. Visitation, 4 to 7 p.m. Friday, February 9th, Hoffman Schneider and Kitchen Funeral Home Crematory, 3860 Asbury Road. Service, 10.30 a.m. Saturday, February 10th at the funeral home. Marion Mulder, Dubuque. Visitation, 3 to 7 p.m. Monday, February 12th. See Eaglehoff, Secret Casper Funeral Home Crematory, 2659 John F. Kennedy Road, and from 9.30 to 10.45 a.m. Tuesday, February 13th, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Service, 11 a.m. Tuesday at the church. Patricia A. Van Adda, Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin. Visitation, 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. today. Bible Baptist Church, Prairie du Chien. Service, 10.30 a.m. today at the church. In other area news, Jackson County authorities warn of new twists on warrant scam. Deadline McCulkett, Iowa. Jackson County authorities issued a warning that a nationwide scam has taken a new twist. A scam involving fake arrest warrants now is using email to connect with potential victims, according to an online announcement from the Jackson County Sheriff's Department. Previously, the scam has involved callers identifying themselves as law enforcement, claiming to have a valid arrest warrant for the call recipient for unpaid fines or similar offenses. The recipient of the call is then told they can avoid arrest by paying the fine over the phone by credit card or similar methods. In the scam's new iteration, an individual receives an quote, arrest warrant for a material witness in their email, e- in ma- email inbox. The email message has the appearance of a federal warrant, but does not provide the judicial district or city or state. The Sheriff's Department warns residents to be suspicious any time someone suggests paying a fine over the phone via credit card. Residents are urged to cl- contact their local law enforcement in case of such scam attempts. Carnegie Stout, Reading Corner, returning to Kennedy Mall. A reading corner from a local library is making its literary return to Kennedy Mall late this month. Carnegie Stout Public Library reopened its reading corner at the Dubuque Mall Monday. The lounge space offers seating and a variety of youth and adult novels. The corner is set up near Center Court next to the Brow Bar. It operated there previously but was closed last year when retail store Sports Plus moved into the space. That store has since left the mall, allowing the library to reopen its community space for visitors to stop and take a break while shopping. Dubuque Nonprofit to hold three-session symposium on food history and culture. A Dubuque Nonprofit will hold a free three-session symposium this month on the history and culture of food. Adam John Waterman will lead the sessions, held from 6 to 8 p.m. February 13th, 20th, and 27th at the Convivium Urban Farmstead, 2811 Jackson Street, according to an online announcement. Waterman works in the Convivium Kitchen. He holds a doctorate in American Studies from New York University and previously taught at the American University of Beirut. Session topics will include the ways in which diverse cultural traditions are expressed through rituals surrounding the preparation and consumption of foods. 
Registrations are required and can be made online at tinyurl.com slash food. Authorities say intoxicated driver injured in Grant County rollover crash. Deadline Clifton Township, Wisconsin. Authorities said an intoxicated driver was injured in one vehicle rollover crash in Grant County. Justin Sedrook, 35, of Stitzer, was transported by ambulance to Southwest Health for treatment of his injuries, according to the Grant County Sheriff's Department. A press release states that Sedbrook was traveling south on Wisconsin 80 at 4.28 p.m. Friday, south of Livingston, when he lost control of his vehicle. The vehicle entered a ditch, struck a driveway embankment, and overturned several times. An investigation determined Sedbrook was intoxicated, and he was arrested on a charge of operating while intoxicated, the release states. Sedbrook was also cited with failure to keep a vehicle under control. Police say a driver arrested for July chase in Dubuque. Police said a driver has been arrested for leading an officer on a chase through a portion of Dubuque last summer. Thomas J. Epler, 38 of 924 Garfield Avenue, was arrested at 4.40 p.m. Wednesday at the Dubuque Law Enforcement Center on warrants charging, alluding second or subsequent events, driving while barred or two counts of probation violation. Court documents state that Dubuque Police attempted to stop Epler's vehicle at 11.08 p.m. July 5th in the area of 14th and Jackson Streets for faulty equipment on his vehicle. He sped away from the scene, turning east on east on 15th Street and failing to stop at a stop sign at 15th and Elm Street. The vehicle continued on Elm Street before turning east onto Garfield Avenue. Quote, the vehicle drove on the left side of the double yellow center line and reached a maximum speed of 55 miles per hour and it posted 25-mile-per-hour zone on Garfield. Documents state. The vehicle drove on Humboldt Street before traveling in the alley between Garfield and Romberg Avenues. The vehicle stopped in the 900 block of Garfield and Epler fled on foot. Documents state that Epler has convictions for alluding in 2018 in Dubuque County and in 2008 in Becker County, Minnesota. In political news, politics, border, front, and center for tri-states federal state lawmakers. Story by Benjamin Fisher, benjamin.fisher at teachmedia.com. Last week saw a great deal of discussion around a national debate over regulation of the U.S. border with Mexico and the growing migrant crisis there with federal and state lawmakers weighing in. Throughout the week, messaging intensified over a developing potential deal between President Joe Biden's administration and a bipartisan group of senators to bolster enforcement on the U.S.-Mexico border and also to fund aid to Ukraine for that country's defense against Russia's invasions. Republicans in both the U.S. House and Senate recently showed diminishing support for the deal following former President Donald Trump's criticism of the bi-Senate. Bipartisan Senate proposal? Political science and politicians, including U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, our Iowa, have recently said one reason for the Republicans about face has been avoiding a perceived win for Biden on the border as a 2024 general election issue. With more information, Dubuque County supervisors face difficult budget decisions ahead. As they head into the final stretch of developing Dubuque County's budget for the next fiscal year, county officials now have vital answers to questions regarding impacts of state property tax reform, proposals for employee raises, and potential improvement projects. All told, the Board of Supervisors has received far more funding requests for major capital projects, employer raises, and increased benefit costs, new positions, and rising utility and necessary costs than county revenues are expected to support in the fiscal year starting July 1. Revenues likely will be limited in part by the Iowa Legislature's 2023 property tax reform, though less than officials feared, 
to the point supervisors think many needs expressed by department heads will not be satisfied by existing revenue streams. On Monday, supervisors and county budget director Stella Rundy agreed to draft the county's budget for the next fiscal year by the end of the month. Rundy also shared the amount the county's levying authority will be reduced by measures in the 2023 law, which sets thresholds on tax valuation growth that, when eclipsed, trigger maximum levy rate reductions. Quote, we exceeded the 3% growth rate in both the general basic and rural basic levies, so we are ratcheted back by 2%, essentially, which reduces our max levy, she said. Our max in general basic would have been $3.50 per $1,000 taxable value. It is now 3.43. In rural, rural basic, we were not levying at the max, but we are still ratcheted back because we're growing more than 3%. It's not my favorite piece of legislation. Rundy said, based on the county's current fiscal year numbers, the provision of the law would reduce combined revenues the county otherwise would receive by nearly $515,000. While the state law will trigger a levy rate reduction, the county still expects to see a small overall increase in property tax revenue due to the historic increases in valuations that prompted legislators to pass the 2023 law. However, unavoidable or already agreed to increases in the county's operating budget, such as raises negotiated for union employees, skyrocketing insurance premiums, utility cost increases, and maintenance likely would eat up most possible increases, leaving far less for capital projects. Rundy said in a budget model she developed, the county would have just over $3 million left in its general basic fund for capital projects while keeping reserves healthy. The model also had $2.6 million left in funds from the county's American Rescue Act, Plan Act allocation and $3.2 million in a long-term capital projects fund. The model included a 6.9% average increase in employee wages based on the recommendation of a contracted compensation consultant and a 60% rollback of the Dubuque County Compensation Board's recommended salary increases for elected officials and deputies, as proposed by Supervisor Wayne Kenneker. None of those numbers are yet set in stone, though, as the supervisors have yet to vote on the most budgetary requests for the next fiscal year. Some public safety improvements already are decided, or nearly so, including the county's $2.5 million commitment to the build-out of the new 911 communication center and lease to own payments for that space, as well as $1.5 million to replace 911 dispatch software for the Dubuque County Sheriff's Department. Supervisor Ann McDonough again recommended that the county go ahead and budget for the Sheriff's Department software at least. It's time to pay the piper for the software upgrade, she said. I would have Runday's model acknowledge that because it looks like we have this money available, but we actually don't. Runday said the Sheriff's Department software could be a good use for the county's long-term capital projects fund, but that she would need further direction from the supervisors on which projects were their top priorities before she could recommend which projects could be funded by which revenue source or if the county would have to take on debt to fund them. McDonough also prioritized funding the replacement of the faulty heating, ventilation, and air conditioning system in the county courthouse, which officials say disrupts county business. But Kenneker said Monday was too soon to start prioritizing projects like that and said some projects may have to be put off, adding that future year's revenues might make budgeting easier. We know people are going to pay more in taxes because evaluation has gone up, he said. I understand the necessity of the sheriff's $1.5 million. I understand that the 9-11 center is already moving. That might have pushed other things out. All three supervisors, Kenneker, McDonough, and Harley Potoff, repeated their intentions to not increase the county's overall levy rate in the coming fiscal year 
which they still technically could do through their general supplemental levy. Other county officials proposed methods of cutting costs in fiscal year. The supervisors approved a proposal by County Director of Planning and Development Ed Raber to fund library projects for both cities of Farley and Cascade, as decided in 2022, by loaning ARPA, federal ARPA funds, to the entities. County Auditor Kevin Dragado proposed a moratorium on distributing county funds to area nonprofits through the Purchase of Services Program next fiscal year, other than for dues and for existing commitments with organizations of which the county is a member. Dubuque Brewing and Malting Company building demolition faces another delay. Story by Andy Piper, andy.piper at thmedia.com. Demolition of a portion of the Dubuque Brewing and Malting Company building at 3000 Jackson Street has hit another snag that could take several weeks to abate. As a contractor removed pipes that were found to be contaminated with asbestos, it was discovered that the mastic used to apply cork panels on the interior walls also likely contained the carcinogen. Material was sent to a lab for testing and results returned positive. Demolition cannot restart until the removal of about 20,000 square feet of contaminated material is complete. It's going to take several weeks, and a lot depends upon the weather, said Steve Emerson, the Cedar Rapids, Iowa developer who purchased the property in 2017. If the weather turns severely cold again, then their solvents just don't work. The weather is great. That's why they're taking it all down and staging it, because if the weather gets cold later, they can still haul it out. Housing and Community Development Director Alexis Steger said it is significant, a significant amount of material that must be removed, and that part of the project is moving forward. We're talking tons and tons of material, Steger said. Next week, they will start on hauling all that material to the landfill. The sense we have is that in the next two weeks is all about the asbestos. We do not have the information about how they plan to do the demolition. We're still waiting for the demolition permit timeline. Emerson said the best way to process and dispose of this asbestos material is still being determined. Hopefully we can salvage as much of the cast, iron, and brick as possible and recycle it instead of just sending it to the landfill, Emerson said. The asbestos company is trying to go as quick as they can too. Asbestos removal is highly regulated and includes several safety precautions that must be met to prevent inhalation of asbestos fibers, which can include, cause lung tissue scarring and leads to asbestosis, a chronic lung disease. Council member Davis Resnick floated the idea of setting a seed timeline for completion of the work. Would that be helpful or just a lot of work? Resnick asked Steger. Do we need to adopt a schedule? Steger said the project will see delays as isn't typical of construction projects. We're asking for the timeline, Steger said. We've asked him twice in the past week and have not received it. We could put deadlines on some things. Mayor Brad Kavanaugh asked Steger to bring some ideas to the council about the best way to set timelines that would be the most effective. This becomes complicated, as you were describing, Kavanaugh said. I think you are probably best suited to take the ideas as far as timelines go and come back with, to us with what is realistic. We are seeing progress, but if there is a way to set timelines, let's see if we can do that. Looking at the opinion page, here's a letter to the editor from Thomas Bikelider. Boxlighter of Kirkwood Street in Dubuque. The Iowa Republicans are at it again. First, the reorganization of the state's area education agencies risks preventing many special needs students from receiving necessary services in their local schools. The AAA has provided these services in one form or another since 1858. This is one reason that Iowa was cons once considered a national leader in education. Now these districts will be provided by local school districts, many of which, due to demographics, 
can barely provide basic services, never mind the diverse services now provided by AEAs. These services are dictated by federal regulations. Meanwhile, a bill before the Iowa legislature proposes placing religious personnel in public schools to provide counseling to students. It does not require credentialing and counseling. I agree that counseling may help reduce the risk presented by mental health issues in schools, but shouldn't, shouldn't these services be provided by qualified and credentialed mental health providers who do not bring a, a religious perspective to the arena? Increasing funding and availability of these services makes sense. Bringing religious bias to schools does not. In fact, I believe it to be unconstitutional based on the First Amendment. By the way, the same applies to the recent law creating vouchers, allowing tax dollars to be distributed to religious schools via payments to parents. Again, that letter is from Thomas Boxleiter of Kirkwood Street in Dubuque. Here's an opinion from the Telegraph Herald editorial board. Our opinion, Iowa should make hands-free driving law. It's high time that Iowa joined 30 other states and banned handheld use of cell phones while driving. Law enforcement officials have been asking for this law for years to address the critical problem of distracted driving. Pay attention the next time you're on the road and you spot many drivers' phones in hand. Now, texting and driving is already illegal in Iowa, but people are allowed to hold their phones to activate GPS or take calls. So how is law enforcement supposed to discern texting while driving from calling up GPS directions? As a result, the no texting law seldom is enforced. An Iowa Senate subcommittee last week advanced a measure that would ban any use of a phone by hand while driving and establish fines for drivers who use their phones without voice-activated or hands-free technology. Fines for an offense would go from the $45 fine for texting and driving to $100, or more if a violation causes an injury crash. Good deal. Who could disagree with that? Should sail through, right through, right? Only this time. The Senate bill has added in another measure, banning traffic cameras statewide, and the plot thickens. Both Dubuque Mayor Brad Kavanaugh and Police Chief Jeremy Jensen attended the subcommittee hearing and spoke in opposition to the bill. As you can guess, Kavanaugh and Jensen don't oppose hand-free driving law. It's a traffic camera ban that had them pleading their case. Whatever your opinion on traffic cameras, and it sure seems like most citizens oppose them, the two measures shouldn't be tied together in the legislature. And that does it for today's reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, February 6, 2024. I am your reader, Bill Petrosky. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. <music>